I'm Jessica Harris, and this is From Scratch. My guest is Fadi Gondor, founder of Aramex, a leading logistics and transportation company based in Dubai in the Middle East. Aramex was founded in 1981 and was the first Arab company to be listed on the NASDAQ in 1997. Welcome, Fadi. Thank you very much for having me. Where are you from initially? I'm Lebanese. Uh, I was born in Beirut, and uh, but grew up in Jordan. And uh, my family is there, and uh, my roots are mostly there. How old were you when you moved to Jordan? My father moved uh, in the very early 60s, and uh, we followed maybe two, three times. So I was about three, four years old. What was the impetus for his moving to Jordan? My father was in the airline business, but he was a political activist, and uh, he was involved in a political party then in Lebanon that uh, had tried to take over government. <laughs> a familiar Middle East story. I'm, I'm sorry, there's the cliche there. And then eventually, because he was part of the leadership, he, he was um, sentenced to, uh, to death. You were so young at the time, but do you remember those days of being transported? I have vivid memory of us crossing the border by car uh, and and my sister crying. Uh, they didn't want us to leave. Uh, so they, they, we had a scuffle with uh, my mother did with, uh, with the customs people then who ended up, because of my sister crying so much, ended up letting us go. So I have this, uh, uh, this vision in my mind of... Uh, of us struggling at the border. Yeah. What did your father do in Jordan? Well, my father and comes from a relatively very poor family. My grandfather was a tram driver for the longest period of time, and but he was a, a visionary in, in making sure that his nine kids went to school. And my father was the eldest. So coming from such a background uh, meant that you had to work harder. He he left uh, and came and studied here in NYU, by the way. He's an NYU grad from, from their uh, aeronautics engineering school. He, he came here specifically to run away from politics. He had never seen an aircraft, and, and he chose aeronautics because he knew he didn't have to go to college locally because they didn't teach it, because he wanted to get away. And did he take a As ship a freshman, here? He took a ship, took him a month. And he uh, spent uh, five years here, worked. His first job was at American Airlines in Chicago. And then uh, family pressure brought him back. So your father makes his way back to the Middle East. Your father befriended the king and started Royal Jordanian Airlines. Yeah. How did he go from being a refugee to having this stature? At that time, um, the politics of the region uh, had King Hussein aligned with certain groups. And, and my father's group seemed to have been aligned with him at that time. Mm-hmm. And thus, when he ended up in Jordan as a political refugee, it was a natural connection. Uh, and thus, being an, uh, an aeronautics engineer and maybe one of the first two or three aeronautics engineer in the Arab world then, so what else is he, was he going to do? And he had helped start an airline with a friend of his in Lebanon before that. So uh, aeronautics engineer, entrepreneur, Jordan, small country, needed an airline. There you go. Now, you were watching this uh, as you were growing up. Did you have any ambitions to follow him in the airline business? Or what were your thoughts as far as the career was concerned? Uh, you know, my, my memory is... Uh, uh, is vague on this uh, uh, because maybe I didn't have any ambitions as such. I was uh, a hyperactive kid. So my, my memory of myself was running around all the time doing naughty and crazy things that scared the heck out of my mom. Uh, but I didn't think of, of what was I going to do in, in life, uh, really. I didn't think long term. 
but I watched him. I watched him. I watched his political activism. Uh, he 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 was he still is was an incredible role model. The people he connected with were extremely interesting. So we we lived a fascinating life, if you want. And you went back to Lebanon to study at the American school there. Yes, I I uh, well, I'm surprised you got that. But uh, my my yes, in 1967, uh, as you know, there was the Arab-Israeli war. Uh, we had we used to go to Beirut every summer to for for vacation out of mm. Jordan. So, uh, and that summer, June of '67, the war broke out. We were in Beirut vacationing. We didn't come back. Uh, so I I ended up spending three years uh, in a school in boarding school in uh, in Beirut. I was actually. Uh, it didn't work out for me in boarding school, so they basically kicked me out, and I went back to to the family. Well, you <laughs> went to boarding school as a you were ten years old. I was a baby, time. right? Oh my God! I and mean, I, I still say that to myself. Independent, believe it or not, I used to get something called gate pass, something called gate pass, a gate pass, which means it allows me to go, go out of school during weekends. And at ten years old, I would take the bus. And go to my grandparents' house, which is about a 45-minute, an hour drive. So I would go to the bus station, change buses. Uh, I still remember that and say, I would never let my kids even walk in the street nowadays. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, I did that. I, it, it, uh, it was uh, it shaped part of my character. I'm Jessica Harris, and you're listening to From Scratch. My guest is Fadi Gondor, founder of Aramex, a leading logistics and transportation company based in Dubai in the Middle East. Aramex was founded in 1981 when Fadi was 22 years old, and Aramex was the first Arab company to be listed on the NASDAQ in 1997. You ultimately made your way to the United States, to George Washington University yes. for, for college. Yes. What were your first impressions of the United States? Well, I carried a heck of a lot of responsibility then uh, because I came to the U.S. with my mom and my uh, baby sister who had a learning disability. I was the only one driving uh, then. So I had my sister went to a children's hospital, a special education program in D.C. So I had to basically uh, wake up very early in the morning and drive her to school every single day for a full year while being a freshman and part of the swim team at GW. And uh, my impression was the ease at 18 years. Uh, it's easy for an, uh, a teenager to uh, actually make his way around in the U.S. Most of the American students at that time were working to either support themselves or, or their tuition or their living. In the Middle East, unfortunately, that's unheard of. Our families provide for us until we get married and find a job. So that was fascinating for me. I was embarrassed sometimes to tell, to say that I didn't work. It was embarrassing. Your father pays for your tuition? Was like, wow. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that was a standard question at that time. But, and it made me feel uncomfortable eventually. So I stopped talking about it. <laughs> you talk about the ease. Uh, you, are you talking about even in the mundane life? Like ease, the like getting a, getting a driver's license. Well, it took me nothing. You know, you did your eye exam and, and then you sit behind the computer and 
the driving test was was uh, cakewalk, easy. So it's I, ironic you say that because we Americans do not think the DMV is easy. We think it's I, a logistical I nightmare. Have, you know, you guys need to see what happens in the rest of the world and to appreciate of what your DMV is. And then eventually renewal was via mail. <laughs> That's unheard of anywhere in the world today. <laughs> it's the first time we've heard of the DMV being an example of efficiency. Right. Well, well life is, uh, uh, things are relative. So you, you need to see what happens somewhere else to appreciate what you have. What about negative impressions of the United States when you were first here? Negative impressions um, in my early days was was the, uh, and I'm sorry to say that, is, is the ignorance of world affairs and uh, specifically of the Middle East. It was very frustrating for me, but uh, fantastically, you know, probably if you want to ask me what was the single most important thing that I learned in the U.S. is how to understand the causes that I care for in the Middle East and know how to argue them in the U.S. Mm-hmm. I used to think that it was a natural. We used to think that we have a just cause and just causes sell themselves. But the reality, nothing sells itself unless you are able to, ex- to argue it and argue it well and know your facts very well. So from, day, from the early days, it was also my first exposure to Jews. It was my first exposure to an argument on the Arab-Israeli conflict. So I basically had to understand democracy, understand argument, understand debate well. And knowing how to present yourself uh, was such an essential. Uh, again, coming from a political family, I automatically became a political activist here with the Arab Students Union, and uh, and there was, you know, at that time it was it was so heated, and I I looked a bit, uh, you know, I had a big beard and my hair was long, and I was looked like a bit of a revolutionary. Here you were in a very politicized, heated environment. What about your academic life? What did you focus on? Oh, you know, I started, my first year was, I, was, I went into engineering school. And then I failed miserably. I, I had an F in, in a physics class. It didn't work out for me with engineering. I automatically changed into political science. I think it's also a very important step for me uh, because in political science, I also got to to uh, understand the habit of reading. Mm. Uh, and, and that helped me a lot in, in my entrepreneurial life. So you leave George Washington, you graduate, and you, you start Aramex out of college by accident. You met your co-founder, Bill Kingston, yes. in the United States. Yes. How did that happen? Well, Bill, Bill knew my dad. So, uh, and I, I stumbled into him. I think we were uh, at the Paris Air Show. FedEx was just happening in the U.S. back then. He said, this is an interesting business. Maybe we should do something in the Middle East. Cool. Why not? I am ready. And then he arranged that I go to see the FedEx hub in Memphis. And there was a company called Purelator Courier then in the U.S. Most people don't remember it now, but it used to be bigger than FedEx, believe it or not. Obviously, these were massive for me. I, you know, FedEx, aircrafts, Middle East does not uh, fit into that. Went back to, uh, to uh, Amman to start the business. Here you are doing all this research, going yes. from courier company to courier right. company in, in the United States. Yes. But you're a maverick. You seemed a little unreliable and heated. Yeah. Uh, why? <laughs> I still am. <laughs> why would Bill <laughs> trust you to start this business in ben, the Middle East? Well, you know, it's not a question of trust. It was he was basically talking to my father, not to me. 
a logical man would never get into this business because it's you know it's a very very difficult business to get into because you're you're effectively having to build a global network from day one i mean that's the nature of the beast right what were the first steps that you took to build Aramex? well the, the first steps the uh, steps that we took is after i looked at the study that bill had done we threw it in the garbage obviously because uh, it was done by uh, you know an american company who who tapped into research and information about the region, which still doesn't exist today. Forget about that. Threw that in the garbage. And we started researching how do you register a company. And at that time, post offices would not allow anybody to get in uh, because they thought we were their competitors. And this was a a monopolistic situation for them. The law did not allow for courier companies. But DHL and ourselves were at the forefront of actually fighting for deregulation and allowing people like us to establish, uh, uh, to establish, uh, you know, the mail delivery business, uh, uh, and then uh, we also stumbled simultaneously onto the fact that a lot of the American companies, then FedEx, UPS, uh, Burlington, Purelater, Airborne Express, they gave their packages to deliver in the Middle East. They gave them to competitors like DHL and TNT at that time. Uh, so, uh, click to us. This is where the niche is. You establish an independent network in, in the region to deliver packages for these guys who are not interested to be in the Middle East at that time. So the way you got in the door was by being a supporter of the FedExes in the Middle East. And you weren't their competitor at the time. You were seen as a partner of theirs. This was our selling point. We said we're independent. We'll build a network uh, for you. We will wear, we will customize. Even the word customization was not there yet, but we actually delivered for every single competitor. Uh, Aramex was their, their single source of delivery. They all gave us their packages in the Middle East. So they had one address in the Middle East, even though they hated each other here. We were able to answer a phone uh, for FedEx. We, we had an airborne phone and we had a, an Emery phone and a Purelator phone. And we, we delivered on their paperwork. The FedEx brand was there through me. So for them, it was a natural. They didn't have to do anything. We had an office here in New York, and all FedEx needed to do, or Airborne, was to deliver for our, to, at our JFK office, which still exists today. And from there, we, we took it all the way. So they didn't have to think of customs, procedures, anything. Just give it to me there, and we'll take it. And eventually, we opened an office in New York, in Paris, uh, 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 London, and in Hong Kong and in Singapore to do exactly the same thing for other courier companies in other parts of the world so that nobody had to think about shipping into the Middle East because it was a bit complicated. Where is the Middle East? We didn't know. The geography was not even known then. So you were, this, you were the wholesaler and you were the courier to we, these couriers. Absolutely. We were the courier of couriers, if you want, to the Middle East. So we were a known brand to the industry. Did you know you wanted to branch out on your own after servicing FedEx and these other couriers, learning on their dime? Yes, at what point did yeah. you say, you know what, I want to eventually compete with these guys? Yeah, well, I would have loved to stay doing their stuff uh, because it was easy stuff. I didn't have to have retail operations or anything. But the reality of the matter is we knew uh, that they will eventually go global. Uh, we started seeing them acquiring companies in Europe. Uh, we started seeing them acquiring companies in Asia. So the minute they say they're global, they, they, it means the Middle East. So they can do it two ways in the Middle East, either acquire us or go and set up their own operation. We've had some discussions with some of them about acquisitions, but we never came to a conclusion, luckily, because the value of the company today and every day that we refused any offer increased. 
What was the delta between FedEx and Airborne Express's perception of you as a reliable company in the Middle East to do their work and the reality of what you were? Like, what level of improvisation had to happen? Oh, plenty of improvisation. So we built the business on the backs of our clients, meaning, uh, you know, I learned the business from Federal Express and Airborne Express. I mean... I understood my limitations very well and I understood their power so well. And I took advantage of it to the health, meaning every time I had the chance to meet, learn, send people from my company to get trained by these guys, we did. And we did that by pushing them very hard to take our kids to to get trained by them. And that's how we learned the business. I know everything that I need to know about this industry today because of FedEx and and, uh, Airborne Express. They taught us the business and they paid us for it. Mm. The other thing that you need to know is their ignorance in the early days of the region, and I can say that now, led me to do things that they didn't know. Meaning, uh, I would have claimed that I had uh, a full network. That was not a lie, but that was not the full truth either. So meaning I always had somebody somewhere to deliver a package for me, but it didn't mean it, it was my employee. I always found someone, a taxi driver here uh, or uh, or a travel agent there. And I would say, you know, call him and say, here's an airwheel coming to you on this airline. Please go to customs and clear it and deliver it and say you're from Aramex. Mm. Uh, because the reality of the matter is, uh, as all startups are, and especially in the Middle East, we were undercapitalized. We were not sure we were going to make it. And uh, so you needed to improvise. I was uh, regularly taking a flight from Amman, our hub then, to uh, Jeddah uh, in Saudi Arabia and uh, have packages with me. You were the delivery boy. I was the delivery boy. I would check into a hotel, literally check into a hotel, wake up very early next morning, grab a cab, tell him I have these 10 addresses, I would go and deliver them, deliver every package to these people mm. and go back in the afternoon and do my business meetings so that I can try to get my license. So, but nobody knew that then. Mm-hmm. Nobody, I would knock on these doors and say, I have this package, but I was the founder of this company delivering those packages. And, and, uh, and that's how I learned the business. This was in the early 1980s. If I had told you then that you would be a billion-dollar company in 2010, would you have been surprised? Or I would have been absolutely surprised. Uh, our market cap when we were public on NASDAQ in 1997 never exceeded $70 million. A small micro cap. A billion dollars, my God, you know, at the height of this company, when we went public on the Dubai Stock Exchange, we actually hit two billion dollars. And so, wow. I mean, this this is uh, incredible for us. You, you <laughs> mentioned FedEx. The founder of FedEx is Fred Smith. Yes. Did you meet him? I met Fred Smith and I know exactly how I met him. So I was uh, I went to every single conference on the industry that could happen during those days. I was still in my 20s. So Fred Smith was a keynote speaker at one of those conferences. And I said, I have to meet this man. So right before he finished, I I waited at the door. And I'm a shy man in general. And before before people attacked, I came to him and said, you know, I am so-and-so and I have this small company. And then he was nice. He said, yes, nice to meet you. And from then on, I kept following him, believe it or not. Wherever he was a keynote speaker... 
I would follow Fred Smith and I would continue to go back and introduce myself and say, remember me? I came to see you once. Uh, so yeah, he's he's uh, without him doing it directly, he was a mentor. Now FedEx is one of the world's largest airlines. Right. At what point did you start to build an airline business behind Aramex? We're never uh, we were never an airline. We're still not an airline. We are a non-asset based company, and we have taken a decision very early on to be a non-asset based company. One because we didn't have the capital. Number two because we knew it can be done without necessarily building an airline or building assets. It is about the customer experience, and that's where we focused. Do you think if you had more access to capital in the Middle East that you might be a different company? Because if capital had been easier for you, you might have started an airline and been an, and been an asset-rich company. Right, and, and luckily not. Uh, yeah, and, and that's one thing that, uh, that I would never, uh, if you tell me what would you do differently, I would tell you I would certainly uh, not look for more capital because the biggest learning experience for us is having to do things on, on the very cheap. Uh, and that created an incredible amount of innovation and creativity inside the organization. We conserved. We were entrepreneurs on one side, but we understood the value of the dollar. And that is what makes us successful today. I'm Jessica Harris, and you're listening to From Scratch. My guest is Fadi Gondor, founder of Aramex, a leading logistics and transportation company based in Dubai in the Middle East. Was there ever a turning point in the company? I mean, here you were really just scotch-taping things together and improvising your way yeah. through building this company. At what point did you say, wow, you know what, we're becoming an institution? Well, I think by the time Saddam Hussein uh, invaded Kuwait, uh, in 1990, we had reached a point of having relative stability in the network in the Middle East. Uh, nothing fantastic, nothing fancy, but we uh, we had a nice brand with the with the industry. And then the war comes, and then all hell breaks loose. Kuwait is invaded uh, and occupied. Saudi Arabia airspace was closed. Uh, half a million American troops on Saudi soil. Airspace in Jordan was closed. We were shut down. And then we had to respond to that crisis internally in the company and manage resources. We had employees in Kuwait then that we came driving to Jordan. FedEx withdrew then. They had some offices in the region, by the way, and sa said, we're shutting down. You deliver everything for us. So we felt a sense of responsibility, and we felt that even with that crisis, we didn't lay off any people then still, uh, if you want, and we were able to scrap and manage and make sure that the company was intact, even though it was an existential issue. But we thought in crisis, when we responded and we responded together, we said, this is a company that is here to stay. As, as the war ended, clients appreciated this massively. And from there on, we were the company that has stayed. A lot of banks used, uh, relied on us at that time. Even, you know, I remember the CEO of the Arab Bank, which is the, one of the largest banks, the largest bank in Jordan, calling me in the middle of the war and telling me, Fadi, we have these magnetic tapes that we need to secure and I need them out of this country. And I need you to every single day take these magnetic tapes and take them to a country that is more secure. That was a turning point for us, and that was a turning point for our brand in the region. And from there on, we started building the business 
from the grassroots up. By the way, you seemed you were married to your business. You were growing the company. What was going on in your personal life at the time? I was married to the business and I was married to Rula, who is uh, is my wife. We're separated now, but she's 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 still my wife and uh, still a very good friend of mine and the mother of my two uh, sons. Uh, yeah, it's not it's it's, it's, a, it's a strain on on family uh, life. You're on a plane uh, more than 50% of your time. Do you find that enervating or energizing? I uh, unfortunately, um, uh, uh, how shall I put that? I am uh, an addict of traveling now, <laughs> which is crazy because I feel uh, if I spend more than a week in one place, I am stuck. And one thing I didn't want to do like my father was was to have that constant travel, but I guess that's one one habit I I inherited from him. And uh, I'm, a, I'm a curious person. I mm-hmm. became much more curious as as I I I grow and realize how little I know, and my drive to knowledge is uh, insatiable. So I am constantly traveling. I'm constantly meeting people. I'm constantly doing things. I mean, that's that's my life today. And I wouldn't have any other way. I'm, I, I love it. I absolutely love it. You seem to have a lot of energy. You swim every day or you try to. Yeah, I'm, that's, that I am, that's something I will never compromise on. I've been swimming since my, since, uh, well, as long as I remember. What does it do for you? It's the ultimate meditation. So people talk about, you know, yoga and breathing exercises. Swimming is the ultimate breathing exercise because that's all you're doing. And uh, it, it just clears my mind. It gives me the energy to, to go on. I'm disciplined in that. I'm disciplined in my food. I'm disciplined in my work. I'm disciplined in my exercise. Uh, e- even though uh, I, I am rebellious and uh, here and there. But, but when it comes to uh, something which I feel is a responsibility towards myself, towards my family, towards what I do, I am extremely disciplined. I have this sense of responsibility, which is which drives me crazy sometimes. <laughs> I'm Jessica Harris, and you're listening to From Scratch. My guest is Fadi Gondor, founder of Aramex, a leading logistics and transportation company based in Dubai in the Middle East. In 1997, you decided to go public yes. on an American stock exchange, the NASDAQ. What was the impetus for that? We ended up um, doing uh, wanting to do a private uh, placement in the region to raise money from Arab uh, Arab capital, if you want. Uh, but we failed. We failed miserably because we, non- we were a non-asset-based company. Uh, uh, at that time, uh, people would ask me, uh, oh, 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 do you own buildings? Do you own aircrafts? Do you own, what do you own? I said, you know, I don't own anything. We own the client experience. I'm, I'm in the package delivery business. I do it well. That's all I own. I have a network. I have strategic alliances. No, I, we don't own anything. We barely own our cars. So for them, you know, why would you want to value? At that time, I think we were valuing the company at around 30 or $35 million in a private placement. So where's the value then? Uh, so we failed. So Bill looks at me and says, you know what, Fadi? We're going to go to NASDAQ. And that scared the heck out of me. I said, Bill, what do you mean NASDAQ? NASDAQ, this company is owned by me and you. Mm-hmm. Uh, nobody looks at our numbers. We barely audit our numbers. We, we audit them, but we barely audit them. <laughs> Uh, legally, we're like 500 different companies. There's no one structure. He said, it can be done. That was August 
1996. And luckily, Bill, his biggest gift to us, he also convinced Airborne Express around the same time to give us $2 million for 9% of the company. Mm. For the first time after talking to Airborne for 13 years, they said, okay, here's $2 million. So the biggest check I had ever seen in my life mm. uh, kept me sleeping for quite some time because I had, you know, my life for an entrepreneur was managing cash flow. Other than making sure packages get delivered, I needed to every mar- morning spend two hours with my chief financial officer juggling our payments because we had such a terrible reputation for being such late payers. And, but that's life when you're when you're uh, uh, scrapping for uh, to run a business. In any case, so Airborne buys uh, 9% for $2 million. And then we say NASDAQ. All by January of 1997, we were on the exchange. So that was miraculous. We, I can't tell you. And I did the roadshow with Bill. We were only raising $7 million, believe it or not. This yeah. was a micro, micro. Two million of those went to the lawyers and to the banks. We were left with $5 million. And that was the first check that I ever t- took myself personally as, as an owner from the green shoe. Mm-hmm. So there was, you know, an oversubscription and we ended up making, I don't know, three four $400,000 <laughs> extra. If you tell me what was the na- turning point, yes, uh, originally what happened in, in the Iraq war, Iraq-Kuwait war, the reality of the matter, the biggest turning point in our life was us going on NASDAQ because that made us a legitimate global brand in the eyes of our clients in the Middle East. Nobody had ever done it before. And the respect we got from banks, from clients, from people walking down the street who had heard about the story. Until today, we're still called as Aramex, the company that was the first to go public on NASDAQ. It's, it, is, it is a stamp on our forehead, and we're proud of it. It's a fascinating story. It's a fascinating story, uh, especially because you have achieved such success in such an unlikely region. What needs to change? I'll tell you what needs to change. It needs to have a government system that has a loose safety net. Um, In the Gulf where there's oil money, there's a huge safety net. The citizen does not feel the urge to innovate or to create or to create his own business because our education system starts from day one telling us that the government is going to take care of us. We are not taught the skills that entrepreneurs need to be taught. We're not told that private enterprise is legitimate, even though the Prophet Muhammad was an entrepreneur. And he was a traveler in trade, which means he had to deal with people. And and, and his the owner of the business was a woman, his, his eventual future wife. We don't teach uh, our kids because the state is predominant in our life. So we need to change our education system. We need to legitimize and say that entrepreneurship, private enterprise, not working for government is okay, is actually good for you. Uh, Having venture capital, angel investors bet on ideas and not bet on on hard assets. We love building buildings, but I don't see uh, as many uh, people b- believing in, in, in ideas and, and believing in on, on entrepreneurs and thus believing in people. But it's not as arid as, as people think it is. The Arab world is changing, is changing very quickly. Uh, there is a huge reservoir of entrepreneurs. Uh, I'm an angel investor, as you know. I can't tell you the amount of people that come to me on a daily basis asking, showing me their business plans and asking me for either help or advice or, or, or capital. Thank you very much for joining us. 
My pleasure. Thank you. My guest has been Fadi Gondor, founder of Aramex, the leading logistics and transportation company based in Dubai in the Middle East. I'm Jessica Harris. This is From Scratch. <laughs>